Hallelujah. Today we're starting a series of messages called Walk This Way. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you, I'm Dan Backen, Senior Pastor of New Life, and I work with uh, Pastor Melvin, who is the campus pastor, and we have four other campuses. We have a campus at Kempsville, has uh, four services. We have a campus at Town Center, Virginia Beach, has two services, and we have a campus and Ghent, one large service, and then we have our online service. I want to welcome all those. And then I want to welcome those joining us online uh, all around the world. If you're grateful for those that are joining us uh, via internet, would you put your hands together so they can hear your clap? <clears throat> awesome. Well, this series, Walk This Way, is going to be the fall series talking about discipleship. And today's message is entitled, The Cost and Joy of Discipleship. The Cost and Joy of Discipleship. I want to begin by reading John 14 and 6. Let's look at that verse together. If you have your Bibles, take them out. I understand uh, there's food after service, is that right? So I'll keep this message short. Is there hot dogs? Hot dogs? Hamburgers? No hamburgers, just hot dogs. And what's going with those hot dogs? Chips? Is there drinks? What kind of drinks? Huh? Water? We're not, what, do we have any desserts? That's a deep creek party for you. <laughs> Hot dogs, chips, and water. But the good news is you can have as many as you want. Yes, and they're free. Yeah, I know deep creek would like that last part. John 14 and 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, I am the way. That's where we get the title of this series, Walk This Way. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father, and I'm also the way to freedom. I am the way to purpose. I am the way to an abundant life. Anything good eternally for your life comes at the end of a road called the way, and Jesus is the way. The early church was called the way. And we're going to talk and I, uh, this fall about what that means practically in our everyday life. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ in 2022? The definition of a disciple would be someone who follows Christ, has Christ as their teacher, sits at his feet, learns from him. A disciple of Jesus would be someone who wants to grow in their faith over time to look more and more like their Savior. Think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and, and walk 
like Jesus. A disciple is the way to a flourishing life. And there are a lot of ways that entice you, but the way always ends. There is a way that seems right to a man, Scripture says, but its way ends in death. You will find, if you, if you live a few years, I'm in my 60s, that the world is really a mirage. It entices you, come drink, come eat, come do this, come desire this. And when you give yourself to it, it way, the way ends nowhere where you thought it would end. How many know that some of the greatest singers of our generation started by singing in church? Lots and lots. But they get a little popularity and they get a few albums sold. They get uh, 10,000 downloads and they begin to, to be uh, popular in the culture. Then they make some money. Then they try a little drugs. Then they kind of get bigger than life. And over the course of time, they drift so far from what they were back in the days they sang in church. And I'm not saying they had to sing in church their whole life. But their soul structure has been damaged. And some of them actually turn on the faith of their childhood. Why? They've been enticed to a pathway that lots of people are on. And it's wide. But its way ends in destruction. It, the way ends far from God and far from being the person that God wants you to be. Today's message is entitled, in this series, The Cost and Joy of Discipleship. I'm going to talk about this paradox. The cost and the joy of discipleship. And my goal today, in the next 30 minutes, is to entice every person in this room, if you're not there already, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Not just enough of him to get into heaven I'll say this again. This Christian life isn't any fun unless you're all in. It just isn't. I'll say, Dan, I, hey, there's some advantages of, of being a little older. Medicare ain't bad. That's, that's a good advantage. I don't have it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Being a little older, you see things. I see what lives work out and what lives don't work out. I see what marriages work out and what marriages don't work out. There is a way that seems right to the culture, but its way ends in death. Jesus says there's going to be a cost to follow me, but the joy of following me makes that cost seem small. Our text, Matthew 16, 24, and 27. You can follow along on the screens. Those online will follow along in the bottom thirds. Verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples. Let me pause. This is after Jesus has done a lot of miracles. He has walked on water. He has multiplied food twice for thousands of people. He's ascending to his most popular time of his ministry. And while people are flocking to him, he wants to assess their reasons for following him. And he was surmising that many were following him because he just wanted their stomachs filled. 
because they saw him multiply the bread. They wanted to be part of something exciting because they saw him walk on the water. And he says, we're going to have to get past this a little bit, he said, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper on what it means to really follow after me. And so he says, verse 24, then, after all what I just described to you, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, anyone, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of family of origin, regardless of gender, regardless of, of the generation in which you were born, there is nobody that gets a pass here. There's nobody that gets a shortcut. There's nobody that doesn't need it. There's, there's nobody that's born in such a terrible life that they get to opt out. Or, and there's nobody that's born in such a good life this isn't required. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him or her deny him or herself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny. In other words, resist, put off, don't follow after one's own desires, but take up a cross. And I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. And follow after him. Take up his cross. Not another person's cross, your cross. Verse 25. For whoever, again, a very inclusive term. For whoever would save, would save sozo, which means save or rescue. For whoever would save or rescue his life will lose it. So anyone who's grabbing onto their life will ultimately lose it. It's kind of like the guy who's drowning, right? And the, the, the lifeguard jumps into the water, swims out to save you, but you're trying to save yourself. And you're flapping around, flopping around, you're moving your hands, you're trying to swim, you don't know how to swim. And finally, the lifeguard says, you got to stop trying and let me, let, let me bring you to shore. You, you got to stop fighting me, he's saying, for me to rescue. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't try to save your own life and, and get saved. He says, you're going to have to stop that and let me save it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever. Now, let me pause. Everybody in principle agrees with verse 25. You know, it's in the Bible. But when it gets down into our life, of denial, putting off the old man, resisting our impulse of gossiping, of judging, and so forth, all of a sudden, uh, it's not as easy as it appears. Verse 26 says, For what will it profit a person, a man, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Pause. Here you go. If the devil's goal is to separate you from God. He can do it two ways. He can make your life so miserable you despise God, or he can make your life so blessed that you don't need God. So what will a man give in return for his soul? What if it profits a man to get the whole world, in other words, have all the blessings of the world and not realize it in the blessings of all of the worldly things that one can forfeit, give up his own soul. What would you give for your soul? 
One of the strategies of the devil is to, to have you not think about eternity. You think about all of life is just now. Well, all of life isn't just now. This is just the very first part of the first chapter. The vast majority of your life is yet to come. It's called eternal life. What would you give for eternal life? I mean, seriously. If there was a door that magically appeared and you had to sell your house, but if you went through that door, you got to go to heaven, who in here would sell your house? 25 to 30 of you. I got a lot of work ahead of me today to make, to make this convincing. I mean, if you really believed it, I mean, if you really believed it, there's a meteor coming to Virginia. It's going to blow up our state in 10 minutes. But if you'll give up your house and you'll give up your own life and if you'll give up all, and you can get away from the planet, I think we'd all jump on. We just think things just going to keep going like they're going. And, you know, I was, you know, a little bit of worldliness doesn't hurt anybody. I don't want to get too radical in following Jesus. And, oh, I just want to cut right through that today. What will you give to save your soul? What would you do to have truly an abundant life? Verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and when he, and then rather, he will repay each person according to what he has done. He's not saying you can save yourself. It's not, it's not, he's not talking about what you've done to make yourself righteous. He's saying, who among you has become my follower? You're going to be rewarded. So when the Father's glory is seen in the Son when he returns, the followers of Christ, the disciples of Jesus, receive a special reward. So Jesus says this on one hand. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Is that a great promise or what? Amen. A great abundant. What is an abundant life? An abundant life is a life of peace. Would you agree with that? It's a life of joy, happiness. It would be a life of having uh, your, 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 your needs met. It would be a life of, inner, of having a purpose. It would be the life where you flourish, your best life. That's an abundant life. I mean, he's not playing a trick on us here. I think we know what an abundant life looks like. He says, I've come into the world that you can have that life. Then he turns around and says, but you have to take up your cross. You have to deny yourself. You go, is this a bait and switch? I mean, when I gave my life to Christ and I heard about his grace, how he unconditionally loves and accepts me, I thought everything was free. Everything is free, but it's not cheap. He doesn't throw pearls before swine. And he knows for you to enter into that abundant life, you have to give something up. This is the paradox. Here's the great discipleship paradox. Jesus came to give you everything, but in order for you to receive it, you have to be willing to give up everything. Jacob, why don't you roll up here a second? All right. I'm going to let this large Bible, which is uh, it's a new translation. It's called the Bible for Everyone. 
It's, it's a well-used study Bible. You take that a second. And let's say this big Bible represents an abundant life, your best life. Let me say it another way. Everything you hope and dream for in your hearts over here, okay? And I'm not going to talk about things like jobs and marriages. And I'm talking about more eternal things for now. I'm going to talk about things like this is peace, and this is joy, this is sleeping well, this is being happy, this is... Uh, all of all of this abundant life right here, okay? And then there's me over here. And I want that. How many of you wouldn't want that? We all want that. But I've got a life here represented by my iPhone. I love my iPhone. That's an iPhone 11. Coveting is a sin, says the Lord. Androids of the devil, says, <laughs> says the Lord. Hey, I'm just calling out. I'm telling what I'm hearing from God right now. So here's my cell phone. It's got a couple thousand pictures on it. It's got uh, YouTube on it. It's got the church app on there. It's got my credit card on there. It's got emails on there. Uh, it's got some entertainment on there. Uh, Wikipedia's on there. Facebook is on there, Maps is on there, my calendar, the weather report is on there, Netflix is on there. Translating English in any language you want, that's on there. Kindle's on there, Wells Fargo's on there. Uh, decibel acts, so I can see how loud the decibels are in church, that's on there. ESPN is on there, Dropbox, I've got a calculator on here. Prime Video is on here, Books is on here, NBC Sports is on here. Fox Now, Gmail, Secure Give, you get it, uh, Night Sky, Flight Tracker, Uber, Starbucks, Geico Mobile, that's how many accidents I have, uh, blah, 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 blah. This is my life, man. This stresses me out. The longer I'm on this, the stress is, but boy, do I love these apps, particularly the ones that are free. I love these apps. I can scroll through these apps. Oh, Facebook. I could spend an hour on Facebook to follow up on your life. I, you're not my friend, but I really want to know where you went for vacation. And I have to see that glamour shot. Oh, I got to see that glamour shot that's your new photo for your Facebook post. Oh, I got to see that. But that's the life I want. Now, I'm a, in, this, in this illustration, I've got one hand, the other hand's on a microphone. How do I get that? No, no, don't take it. I got this is my life. I'm not going to let go. I am not letting go of this. Doesn't fit. How do I get that life? I got to lay down this life. I gotta lay it down. And then I can get get this life. So your old life, and you may like that old life, parts of it. That's not the abundant life. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not for which you were created. You are pursuing a mirage and you're drinking grape juice and calling it wine. The real you is over there. 
for what you were created to be, to do. To, and your eternal reward is over there. And we spend our life going, how can I hold on to this and get that? I mean, how can I balance this and get that? You can't. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You got to give it all up. Can you be a 90% disciple? I don't think that fits the definition. Being a Christian is only fun when you're all in. Now listen, can you trust me in this? I'm older than a lot of you. I'm younger than those that are sleeping right now, but I'm older. I'm older than lots of you. I've been around a few times. I know a thing or two. This is really true. The more you give up of your pride, your selfish ambition. Oh, Americans, we call ambition the American dream. We call materialism prosperity. And we just take all the old things that used to be vices and we baptize them with new words. It's just a deception. It doesn't work. Who's the guy that started Apple? Steve Jobs. When he was on his deathbed, last thing he said to his family on his deathbed, or one of the very, very last things, not the, the last thing, but right towards the end, he said to his family, I'm sorry, I didn't spend more time with you. He's a trillion dollar company. The first trillion dollar company in the history of the world I mean, this guy is a rock star by any definition. He has the whole world in his hand, but at the end, he is saying, he's not talking about Apple company. He's talking about his family. Oh, how it comes into focus at the end. And you ran so hard over a mirage, over something that's not there. It's a paradox. Matthew 13, 34 it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found and covered it up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all. In his joy, he goes and sells all, all that he has and buys that field. That's the joy of discipleship. It's not like, do I have to give this up? The joy of discipleship is... There is a treasure in following Christ. There is a treasure in loving Christ. And if you don't love him today, I don't think you know him. I mean, when you really know him, it's pretty darn compelling. And you see that you're a sinner and you're now saved by his great love for us. And when I call on his name, I don't know if you sang that song today. We did it, Ken. So when I call on his name, he's there. And he never leaves me nor forsakes me. That's pretty amazing. It's a great joy in following him. It starts with joy. Discipleship is an offer that God makes you today. Not something you're giving him. He says, do you, do you want to follow me and become like me? Think like me, act like me, have the power 
of God in your life. Why don't more people do that? Well, I think a lack of trust in God's goodness is at the heart of all of our sin and our hesitation to follow him. It's like we really don't believe him. It's like we really, we really don't believe if I follow him, I get my best life. I, I really don't believe that. And if we really did believe that, we would follow him. See, some of us are afraid of holiness. You're afraid that being holy is somehow you're that pious, religious King James talker. Nah. Holiness is, think of it, holiness is becoming into the fullness of what God created you to be. That would be in Christ's likeness. Holiness is a good thing. A truly holy person is attractional. It's like, what do they got? What's, what's going on over there? They're a fully devoted follower of Christ. And that gives them a peace and a joy. And they have kind of like, like a Teflon coating to the criticisms of the world. They're not like Demos, where Paul said, he left me because he loved the world more than me. It's not those in Hebrews saying they, they follow the passing pleasures of sin. Now, is, is following the Lord an easy thing? No, there's a discipling, but this is how it happens. When you come to him, there's an immediate rush of grace. You're like the prodigal son who's been found. You're like the lamb, the one of the, of the hundred that wandered away, and now you're being carried back on the shoulders of Jesus. It's beautiful. That's not the end of our stories. The getting saved part, grace. Now the fullness of our life is over there. And to, and to receive that, it's a, it's a way of discipleship, learning about, you know, learning the word, learning what disciples think, learning about Jesus, dying to self, repentance of sin, sacramental living, and so forth. This way of discipleship. How many of you have been in love? If you're sitting with your spouse, you had better. You know, this, this is what I wanted to see, not this. I fell in love when I was 18. Nope, sorry, wrong story. I fell in love. I fell in love uh, at 20. I got saved at 18. Fell in love at 20. And when I fell in love with Rhonda, uh, I was leading a Bible study. She came to the Bible study as a freshman. I was now a, a junior plus a semester. Older than her, as I'm older than her, and I see her and... and uh, we're in a small Bible study, and so obviously I stood out as quite, a, as quite attractive. You know, there's not a lot of good-looking Christian guys out there for girls. Seriously, single women, am I right? So, I mean, I'm a hot item in that Bible study. I am like a ticket out of town. So anyway, I catch eyes with my, wife, my future wife, and 
we talked after the Bible study, and in a couple of weeks we, we began to talk, and it was a storybook. I, I, I loved her. And if you'd come up to me in those days and said, Dan, what would you give up to be with her? I would have said anything. Would you give up your college education in a heartbeat? Would you give up being a pro athlete? <laughs> Think about it. You get, but I'd give up anything for her. I'd give up my time. Man, when I was dating her, she lived in a town 75 miles away in the summer. I saw her about every day. I'd get off work. I'd get in my car. I'd drive down and see her. We'd go for a Coke or in those days you went bowling. We'd go bowling or something, and I would drive back. I never once had this thought. I don't know if it's worth it. Are you kidding me? I only need four hours of sleep because I got a girl. No, I don't want to date you or date you or date you. I've got a girl. No, I don't want to go be with the guys that go back to the bars. I've got a girl. Listen to me. If I'll do that for a girl, I can do that for a savior. I love my wife, but she can't save my soul. But we'll go. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth, worth it. And I say, I think you need to fall in love again. You see, what does it mean to pick up your cross? We're going to talk about that uh, over the next few weeks. Every, every culture, it's, it's a bit different, and every generation, it's a bit different. But we're going to talk about what does it look like to really pick up your cross? Well, I'm going to tell you what it's not. Number one, it's not harder is holier. It's not like you want to make your life as hard as you can, and then you're more holy. It's not that. God wants you to have a good life. But he wants that good life to start from the inside you. And that inside you part takes discipleship. And here's the deal. Let's say you've walked with him 40 years, 30 years. There are things you have not yet surrendered that he's going to tap. And you can't point your finger at that guy or that guy. It's, it's on you, man. Do you want the fullness of what God has? You're going to have to give up the judging of everybody. You're going to have to give up the gossiping. You're going to have to give, it, you're going to have to give up the materialism. You're never satisfied with your car, your house, what you've got. You always need bigger, better, more. And when you drive up to the stoplight and some guy's got an Audi and you're in a Toyota Corolla and you covet, but you call it getting a vision for what your life can be, that's nonsense. You're just coveted. The Bible says, if you have food and raiment, there be content. God might touch that. Americans, we're just crazy about stuff. Crazy, 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 crazy about stuff. And we just think it's okay. Well, would you agree with me, at least at this point, we should see, what does the Bible say about it? I think that's fair. And we're going to find there's areas in our life that the Lord wants to touch. Being a disciple, it is not a form of self-harm. It's not like fasting until you are so sick from loss of weight, 
you need to go to a doctor. Discipleship is not hurting yourself. And in the Middle Ages, the time of Luther, they would have these coats that they would wear. On the inside of this coat, they would have scratchy uh, 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 fur from animals. So when you wear it, your whole, all of your body would break out in a rash. And they thought by wearing that coat, they were pleasing God. Where does that come from? God's not pleased with that. Uh, there was a missionary in India who served lots of orphans. And recently, uh, uh, a missionary from here went over and visited them. And uh, was, wanted to buy them a washer, a washing machine. And the, the lady said, well, we, I don't want a washing machine. She says, I think that when I do all these clothes by hand, this suffering pleases the Lord. No, it don't. No, where do you get that? Deliberately, deliberately doing stuff like that somehow pleases him? Nah, that's, that's not what he means. Like self-harm, like work yourself to death, fast to death, uh, you know, Martin Luther wrecked his stomach as he fasted so much. And his whole life, he had stomach problems. At the time, he thought he's pleasing God. Once he understood grace, that's not what discipleship means. Discipleship means dying to the fleshly desires of one's heart. And there are things that we do, but it's not that. Number three, this is what it is. It's a willingness to be opposed and shamed for following Jesus. A willingness to be opposed and ashamed for following Jesus. The Bible says this, everybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Does that include Americans? It does. What kind of persecution might it be? You're in a group of people and they're just ragging on the president and they're not honoring at all and they're saying terrible things and you say, I, you walk out, I just can't be party to that. And I don't care who the president is, present, past, future. It's the whole attitude towards authority. There would be a classic example. By not joining in, by not joining in, you're going to be ostracized. Well, I'm following a savior. I'm not following the crowd. Peter denied the Lord. And that was a worse thing than Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot never denied knowing Jesus. He just sold that relationship for silver. Peter said, I never knew him. Not that I'm not following him. I never knew the guy. Jesus restored him. And he received the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, he's a fully devoted follower. And when his life was over, he was crucified Church history says he's crucified upside down and died on a cross. Not ashamed. Not afraid of a culture. Number four, picking up your cross means it's a decision to deny all desires or plans that are contrary to God's word. Now I think on the surface we're all going to agree with that. Okay? All right. You're a single woman today and you're going to get married to Bobby Joe. 
That's a fictitious name. If your name is Bobby Joe today, I'm sorry. I did not mean to pick on you. And you're going to get married in June. And you are now engaged. You see the picture? But with inflation the way it is, we can economically make this work by living together. We're getting married. We're getting married, so we're kind of like we're kind of like married now, but not, you know, we're 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 engaged. And the whole culture says, Great. Cool. That's not okay. Don't say, Dan, you're so hard. It's not me. The Bible talks about that. It says, Don't do anything that has the appearance of evil. Well, I'm not sleeping with her. First of all, I'm just gonna say baloney. You got a pulse? If you're in the same house and it's after midnight, something is going to happen. What's, the, what's, that, what's that black guy that sings all the love songs at the low voice? Ben? Huh? Barry White. And you got Barry White music on just by accident. Just by accident we have it on all night. Oh, yeah, don't tell me that was by accident. Well, that's following Christ. You, you can say, well, God doesn't want... Don't, don't start that with God doesn't want... What does the Bible say? You can't... Don't tell God what he should say for your life. That's not fair. If I'm the parent of my kid, I'm not going to let the neighbor tell my kid what I should do. I'm saying, bug off, buddy. That's my kid. I'm going to tell my kid what's the best for his life, not you. So you, you, are we in or we're not in? Now, if you're married and you're... You know, you've been married a while. You're going to go, that's it. Yeah, you're right, pastor. Preach it to the young ones. Oh, don't you forget. Don't you forget when you were engaged or fell in love and that fence had a gate in it. A lot of metaphors flying right there. When I was in high school, I sinned. I sinned a lot. I don't talk about it. I, you know, did stuff you do when you're 16, 17, 18. I got saved. And I became a follower of Christ. And I told the Lord when I, went, when I got saved, and this is my journey, not yours. I said to the Lord, I'm not going to date until I date the woman that there's a good chance I'm going to marry. It was too rough on me. I mean, it hurt too much to date and break up and all that stuff. So I said, I'm going to wait. 18, 19, 20. Those are tough years to wait. And if you've waited till you're 30 or beyond, those are tough years. So I'm 19. I'm in a dormitory. It's a July night. It's hot. And I'm burning up but not because the temperature's hot. <laughs> and I know if I go out the door of my dorm room, if I go out the door of my dorm room, something's going to happen because I know where to go to make something happen. I'm losing track of my story. There's so many clues in here. <laughs> 
And it was hell, man. Because I wanted to go out that door. And everything in me wanted to go out that door. But I knew if I got as far as the handle on that door and I opened it, you take one tiny step in that direction, it's over. You can't stop midstream. Don't give that to me. So that night, I denied myself. I took up my cross. I didn't trade my following of Christ for the passing pleasures of sin. Now, if I'd gone out that door, would have been fair to say, well, I'm just human. It would have been fair to say, well, God forgives. He knows. I know he does forgive and restores. But, in, but, but that's not what these, how disciples think. Disciples don't think, like, I'm going to sin and get forgiven. <laughs> disciples think, I want to follow the Lord with all of my heart. I passed that test, Melvin. My wife came by uh, about five months later. I was introduced to her. We were engaged for a little over a year. And we never crossed the line. We never came close to crossing the line. You might say, how did you do that? With a gun and rope. <laughs> when she got in the car, I tied her to that door. And when I got in my car, I, 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 put, I, I locked myself to that door. No, that's, that's all a joke, by the way. That's, that, that didn't really happen. But we, we had a successful engagement. I've never done marriage counseling with a couple that said this. Boy, we're really glad we, we've known a lot of people. Boy, I'm glad I slept with a lot of people. Really prepared me for this marriage. They all regret and even if they cross the line with each other, they regret it. Because they know that it's, it's hardwired in them by God that the best life is the life of waiting and then the life of fulfillment in marriage. So when I stood at the altar with my wife and she's dressed in white, she deserved to be dressed in white. Discipleship leads you to your best life. It can be rough getting there. But it gives you your best life. Number five, and our final one on these five points, is a death to any sense of self-righteousness. When we pick up our cross, we are not making deals with God. We're not saying, God, you, you, you owe me. I'm, I'm right standing with you. I'm not that bad. I bury my pride and my self-righteousness and anything that rises up in me that says I'm better than another, I deserve something good, or I'm going to work myself to holiness. I just died all that. Wake up every morning saying, I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior. Wake up every morning saying, I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. Holy Spirit, lead me today. And whatever I need to give up this day, God, reveal to me that I might follow you fully. Matthew 16, 25 says this in a paraphrase. This is our text for the sermon, a paraphrase. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it. 
But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake, that is discipleship, through discipleship, will find it. That is an abundant life with me now and for eternity. This fall, I'm inviting you to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. There is a cost. We're just not going to baptize all of your attitudes and desires. When we come to the Lord, we give it all up. But in so doing, you receive God's best for your life. And over time, you become more like Jesus. You think like him, talk like him, respond and react like him. Who wouldn't want that? It's the person that's afraid to give up everything. They don't trust. They don't. Tr they think this is a bait and switch. They really don't trust if they give up everything to follow Jesus that it's good on the other side. I've been on the other side a long time. It's good over here. I'm in my 60s. I've walked with God since I was 18. I'm living my best life. I'm living my best life. I know him, Melvin. I fought cancer for 14 years. That was no fun. Still fighting it. But in it, I, I, I found out he's trustworthy and he's loving. And, uh, and, I, and I, when I get off the track, I, I ask forgiveness and get back on the track. I mean, I try. The whole world is screaming at the young people saying, come this way, go that way. It's just a big mirage. It's, it's deception 101. The pathway to the life you're meant to live is Jesus himself. He is the way. And nobody comes to the Father but by him. There's no other way. Father, we thank you that there is a path of discipleship that leads to the abundant life you promise, that we'd sell everything we have to buy the field with the treasure. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank those that joined us online today. God bless you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global, and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.